I want to say a warm welcome to different audiences today. I want to start with those of you who are at home today in Southern California staying dry. We're so thrilled that you're with us. And I also want to welcome the bold, the brave, the wet who are physically joining us today. We're so thrilled that you're here as well. You know, Christmas time here at Saddleback is such an important time. And it's a time where we reflect on God's love for us in this message, Emmanuel, God came to be with us. And we recognize that no matter where you are in your journey spiritually, there are some of you that you absolutely love Christmas time. Like you're the kind of person, you have the decorations out right after Halloween. You're the kind of person that's listening to Christmas music in July. Any of you who are here today or joining us online, just lift your hand or click a button to say, that's me, I'm the Christmas person. Like I love Christmas. It's my favorite time of the year. And then there are others of us, or maybe some other people, that Christmas is a very difficult time of year, where perhaps Christmas is the time of year that reminds you of the things in your life that are not the way that they should be, the things in your life that are broken, the hurt and pain that you've experienced over the last year. Well, this Christmas season, we're doing everything that we can as a church to lean into, to give hope and peace in the midst of chaos. And last week, we kicked off a series, it's called The Missing Peace. And today we're going to continue that journey. And we started with this idea that in our world, there are problems that we experience, both personally and globally. And I gave you this diagram, I want you to see this again, that in your world, there are troubles. Perhaps some of you this year has been a year of loss. Maybe you lost somebody that you love. Perhaps there were some unforeseen circumstances that you experienced. There's been war in our world this year. In our global audience, so many of you have encountered that. People in Eastern Europe and Iran, there's war in our world that causes us to lack peace. There's been transition. And when you're in transition, sometimes transition, it leads to loss. And perhaps even that loss reminds you of loss earlier in your life. So there's a chaos that you feel. There are trials that we experience and tension in our home, relationships. All of this wars against the peace that we all want to experience. And if we're honest with ourselves, every single human being deep in our soul, we just want peace. We just want to experience peace in our heart, in our mind, peace in our relationship, peace in our world. So this series is about finding that missing peace. Well, last week we began with two big ideas and I want to encourage you, if you didn't get them or if you didn't watch the message, to go back. And I want to recap these two big ideas. The first one is ultimately that there is no external solution for internal chaos. So often, the solution that we're looking for, we're looking on the outside. But last week, we began and we talked about it begins on the inside. There's no external solution for internal chaos and in addition to that, we said that the battle for peace is won on the inside. So it begins internally. And I gave you this diagram as well, where we talked about how when we get God's truth and God's presence into the deepest places of our lives, we get his word, we get the promises of his word, we get the connection to his heart deep inside of us, beginning with our minds, it emanates out and impacts the rest of our lives. And these four domains from our head, our heart, our home, and humanity. Now today we're gonna skip the two rings, the heart and home, and we're gonna go to humanity. And the question that we wanna wrestle through today, so last week was the question, how do I experience peace in the midst of chaos? But today's question is, how do I bring peace in the midst of chaos? So how do I step into a world that lacks peace, a broken world where there's hurt and pain? 
How do I become the kind of person that where I go in my family, in my place of work, in your relationship with your roommate, how do you become the kind of person that you bring peace wherever you go? And if we're honest with ourselves, as we look back over the last three years, there have been some changes in our culture globally. Uh, Many people prior to three years ago, before COVID happened, uh, there were some cultural norms that we all embraced. Like, for example, we didn't get in fistfights at the grocery store. Uh, We didn't scream at each other at the line at Starbucks. There were so many cultural norms that we embraced prior to COVID, and it was almost like our behavior online, maybe for some of us, our behavior online changed. We said things that we never would have said, and then that behavior just ended up translating into how we treat one another in public. And I, I actually have seen more in public in the last few years fights and anger than I've ever seen in my entire life. And I lived in the Bay Area. Stacy and I were there for 14 years. I thought it was the Bay Area. So my son, earlier this year, he was playing lacrosse and he's out on the field as he's playing lacrosse. And I'm watching this dad in the stands get increasingly angry, angry at the umpire, or the, the referee, excuse me. And he's, he's getting frustrated. And then all of a sudden, there's another dad on the other team that gets aggressive and angry. And then there's a fight that breaks out on the field. And as the, the, the fight is breaking out on the field, I'm watching these two dads in the stands, and the fight is about to break out between two 40-plus grown men over a lacrosse game. It's like, how in the world is this happening? And one of the schools was a Christian school. I'm like, how are we doing this? This is crazy. And it was me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, ki- I'm just kidding about that. It wasn't me. Um, but the line, the line in those moments is, it's just not worth it. Like when you're in your mid-40s, man, it's just, it's just not worth it. So I thought it was Northern California. And then I moved to Southern California. And this last week, I was dropping my son off at school. And I'm certain it was not a student by the way this man looked. He was, he was well in his age to be a father. And he's stuck in traffic. And I, maybe this is a Saddleback member. He's stuck in traffic. At, he, at the school as he's dropping his son off. If you don't know if it's you, it was Tribuco Hills High School, okay, so maybe it's you. Um, and as he's dropping his son off, he's getting out of the car, screaming at somebody in traffic. And I'm like, what has happened to our world? What has happened to us? Stats show us that anger is on the rise in our culture. Chaos is on the rise. Let me give you a couple of these stats. 84% of people say that we are more angry than we were a generation ago. And 16% of people who were surveyed were not alive a generation ago. (laughs) In 2019, 82% of people admitted to committing an act of road rage in the past year. And maybe perhaps for Saddleback, it's like one in five. I'm believing the best about you today. But there is, there is, there's an increase in road rage. And when I read this stat, it actually reminded me, I had an ADHD moment yesterday when I brought the message. I was reminded of a time that my dad had road rage with uh, my kids in the car. It was so awesome. So they came home and they're, hey, dad, guess what happened with grandpa today? It was really cool. So 78% of people believe that bad behavior from customers toward employees is more common than it was five years ago, according to HBR. And 66% believe bad behavior from customers toward other customers is more common than it was five years ago. Has anybody seen this in their lives? The increase of anger. And so much for all of us, it comes from within. And today I want to start this conversation around becoming the kind of person that brings peace where you go. And the big idea today is this, that peace for humanity begins with peacemaking humans. Peacemaking humans. 
So peace for our world starts with people who make peace where they go. And I want to talk today, how do you become the kind of person that makes or brings peace? And Jesus made a statement in the Sermon on the Mount. So there were these beatitudes, there were eight of them that described the blessing of leaning in or living into the kingdom of God. And one of these beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5 verse 9 says that God blesses the peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. And if you go to the original language, that word means peacemaker. It's just sometimes people want to know the original language just so they feel smart. It means peacemaker. The Greek is peacemaker. It's two words combined of a person that has peace but they work towards peace. And I love this promise from Jesus. He says that blessed or happy or joyful are those who make peace where they go for they shall be called children of God. That means that when people see them, they'll understand this is a child of the Most High God. This is a representative of God and his kingdom. I want you to see a picture of my dad here. This is my dad, uh, my senior year of high school. So at the time, my dad was 42 years old, one year older than I am right now. And isn't my dad a really good looking guy? Like you just look at him and it's okay if you think he's a good looking guy, you can say it. Isn't he a good looking guy? He is. My whole life, people told me I look a lot like my dad. So, <laughs> and every time when I was a kid growing up and people would see my dad and I together, they would always say, That's, that, that, he, jokes, he looks just like you. And when people would see me without my dad, they would say, that's Pete's son. And the truth is that when we are somebody's child, oftentimes the representation or the image is so strong that you almost feel like you're, you're looking at that person. It's a, G, a DNA or a genetic version. The next generation is so similar. And what Jesus is saying is that peacemakers are representatives of God so much that they look like him. But not only do they look like him, they join in the Father's business. So in the first generation, and really all throughout society, so often a son or a daughter would inherit the family business. Now my dad is a plumber, and I had the opportunity to inherit the family business. I worked for him one summer. I got something in my eye. I won't tell you what it was, but I never worked for him again after that. I was like, that is not the business for me. But there's a family business that God is trying to promote or build, and the family business for God is peacemaking. The family business for the creator of the universe, for the sons and daughters of the most high God, is that we would be peacemakers here on earth. So the father's business is to bring together things that are divided. The father's business is to bring peace and reconciliation. So that, that's what we're going to look at today. In James chapter 3, we're going to look at just a few verses from the Bible that help us understand how to become these kind of peacemakers that Jesus was talking about. He begins his thought, James says, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. So he's talking about the intention of wisdom that's in the heart of somebody who follows Jesus. Now, he goes before this, uh, before this he goes and he describes the world's wisdom. And this is important because the world's wisdom, he says, is filled with jealousy. The world's wisdom, it causes division. The world's wisdom is all about one's own interest. But the wisdom from a child of God the wisdom from somebody who knows the heart of Jesus, he says, is the kind of wisdom that is pure in intention. So it's constantly thinking about other people. The solutions that this wisdom comes up with is not the world's solutions. The world, the wisdom that this kind of, the solution that this wisdom comes up with is God's solution. So it's first of all, it's pure. 
It's also peace-loving. It's gentle at all times. And it's willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism. And it's always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, I want you to notice this concept of peacemaking is its work. So James is helping us understand that there's a, there's a component like a farmer. There, there are seeds that have to be sown. There's soil that has to be worked. And when we do it, there's a harvest that comes as a result of it. Now, the first idea that I have today to become a peacemaker, what I will do is I will make a choice to develop a love for peace, to develop a love for peace. In our family, we have five people, uh, three kids, Stacy and I, and we often talk that there is one person in our family that is a peacemaker who loves peace, and it's my wife. Everybody else, man, we, there's a tendency inside of all of us. Like we, it's just the kids, and then sometimes I join right in there with them. It's like I'm a kid. I become a middle schooler again with middle schoolers. And my wife, she is such a great example of somebody that loves peace. And James says that there's a kind of person that they love, they prefer peace. Now there are other people that don't prefer peace. And let me explain this. There are some kind of people that we would call peace fakers. And maybe you know somebody like this. This is the kind of person that acts like it's okay when it's not okay. Now, when we understand peace, peace is the bringing together of parties or bringing together something that's been separated. The word reconciliation is all throughout the scripture that God is a reconciler. He's bringing together two parties that have been separated. So the message of Jesus, when Jesus was crucified, when he breathed his last breath here on planet Earth, there was this one moment where the curtain temple, or the, 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 the curtain to the temple was torn from top to bottom. So there was a place where people would go and they would pray and there was this massive curtain that stood between humanity and God. And once a year, the high priest would go into the presence of God and he would pray. And it was believed that he would have these little uh, bells around his legs so that they would know he would die because he was in the holiness of God. That if the bell stopped ringing, he was gone. So there was such a sense of rev reverence for the holiness of God. And the reverence or the holiness of God has not gone away, but Jesus came to pay the price so that humanity could be brought back to God. So that moment when Jesus would breathe his last breath, the curtain temple, uh, the, to the curtain of the temple would literally be torn from the top to the bottom, bringing humanity back to the heart of God. So there was a reconciliation between us and God that Jesus brought about. But there was another reconciliation that God wanted to bring about. In fact, in AD 70, the temple would be destroyed, the temple that the Israelites had worshipped in. And there were all these walls that existed for different groups of people. There was a court for women, there was a court for Gentiles, there was a court on, in the inner courts for the Jewish men. And actually the scripture says that when Jesus came, the message of Jesus knocked down the dividing wall. It was called the dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. So what God was doing was he was creating one people from every nation, tribe, and tongue that would know his heart. And his mission is that, that good news, the good news of Jesus, would go to every nation, tribe, and tongue. So the message of reconciliation is about tearing down walls between humanity. It's, a, it's both a vertical and a horizontal message of reconciliation. So what a peace faker does a peace faker is somebody that keeps the others apart, two parties apart, 
by never addressing problems that exist. So this is the kind of person that they're always like, yeah, it's good, it's good, all good, all good, all the time, all good, all the time. You don't know anybody like that, just out of curiosity. It's like, how you doing? Great. Got in a fight with my spouse on the way to church? Great, I'm awesome. Awesome, 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 all the time. Peace fakers. And maybe you know somebody like that, maybe you are like that, um, but there's also another group of people uh, but before I go there, I wanted to read this first because this is good. From the least to the greatest, Jeremiah 6, 13. All are greedy for gain, prophets and priests alike, all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. And they say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So Jeremiah highlights that sometimes we say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So there are peace fakers and then there are peace takers. And perhaps you know somebody like this. When they enter into a room, everything could be great, but they come into the room, they come frustrated, they come angry, they come gossiping, they come separating. They are peace takers, and they evaporate the peace from the room. Now Solomon had something to say about this person. He said, throw out the mocker and the fighting goes too. Quarrels and insults will disappear. So this is the kind of person that when they leave the room, there's immediately peace. Now what I'd like for you to do is I want you to look at peacetaker and peacemaker on your notes, or peacetaker and peacefaker, and I want you to star. What is the one that is your natural tendency? So we all have a natural tendency. Some of us are more prone to peacetaking. Some of us are more prone to peacefaking. Um, and then maybe you could circle which one you think your spouse is if you want to, but don't let them see it. <laughs> Just kidding. So you have peacetakers and peacefakers, but there's one that Paul talks about, and that's a peacemaker. And this is the person who brings two parties together. So a peace faker keeps two parties apart by avoiding problems. A peace taker keeps two parties apart by making problems. But a peacemaker brings two parties together by addressing problems. Second Corinthians 5 says this from the Apostle Paul. He says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Now this verse is so important because we have a perspective on our relationships that we carry into every conversation. And what Paul is saying is there is a perspective that God wants to give to you that when you look at, at someone in the eyes, there has never been a person that you have looked at that Jesus did not give his life for that he deeply cares about. And Paul is saying that when you see people this way, it changes your mission, it changes what you're about because no longer are you about getting your way. No longer are you about your own uh, peace of mind all the time without understanding the significance of what is happening in another person's life. So he says this kind of person, when we see this, when we recognize it, the old is gone, the new is here, and all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has now given us the ministry of reconciliation. So what that means is when I understand the nature of the good news of Jesus, that God came to bridge the gap between us and himself, and God came to bridge the gap between us and one another, that if I have God's peace in my heart, if I've been reconciled to God, now I've been given the mission to become the kind of person who is a minister of reconciliation that brings peace wherever I go, brings peace into my place of work, brings peace into my family, brings peace into the world. Now James helps us understand the problem with this because we, we might want to be peacemakers. We might want to 
bring peace wherever we go. But James says there's actually a problem that is taking peace from your current environment. And the problem sometimes is really hard to acknowledge. Watch what he says next in James chapter 4. He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Somebody just said my kids. Somebody just said my spouse. Somebody thought my boss. What is causing the fights and quarrels among you? Now notice in your notes as we go through, I want you to notice all the times that James says the word you. And I'll, I'll emphasize them as we go through. He says, what it caused the fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Maybe you can say it with me. I'll start at the beginning. That would be a little bit more fun. So what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Who is James talking to? You. You. And you and you. Isn't it so funny though? You want it to be you, but really it's me. And James is holding up a mirror into our hearts that every problem that we have in our marriages, every problem that we have in relationships with family, every roommate issue, every moment of chaos in a business, it all starts on the inside. It all begins internally in us. And really the bottom line is that we want and we don't get what we want. So when we don't get what we want, we turn into babies. We turn into teenagers. We turn into really, really immature people. And James is saying, the more you understand what's happening on the inside, the more you can address the problem on the outside. The more you understand the brokenness within, the humanity within that wars against the peace that God wants in your life, the more you can get on the side of the solution. So the second point is that I must deal with my contribution to the world's problems. I must deal with my contribution to the chaos in the world. It's hard to be a part of the solution without owning my contribution to the problem. Let me say it one more time. It's hard to be a part of the solution without owning my contribution to the problem. And I have found that there are several phrases that are so incredibly helpful and they're so simple. And you might even write these down. I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. And some of us have such a hard time acknowledging the places in our lives where we're wrong. And that word, that phrase, I'm sorry, maybe you grew up in a family where I'm sorry was not very common. And for you, it's really hard to get past that little phrase, I'm sorry. I remember in 2020 when George Floyd was murdered and there was so much that was happening in our world. COVID was at, at its height. Uh, there was so much angst internally that people felt. And then now there was this new conversation. Well, really for many people, it was the conversation they had been dealing with their whole lives, but the conversation took on a whole new level around racism in our country. And I remember there were so many churches and pastors that were stepping into that conversation. And I felt like the thing I needed to do was sit around a table with my black brothers and sisters and hear their story. And one of the things that so many of my brothers and sisters said to me was, the thing that most hurts us about you and about white people and about Caucasians is the apathy that we see, the unwillingness to stand up and to recognize that racism is a sin straight from the pit of hell. 
when the message of Jesus is all about every nation, tribe, and tongue. And I felt so compelled in those moments just to say, I was wrong, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And it wasn't until there was a, a moment of acknowledgement in the relationship where I've erred, where I've been wrong, that healing in the relationship could begin, where we could be reconciled to one another. And sometimes two parties stay apart from one another, sometimes for generations because of an unwillingness to own a problem, an unwillingness to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. But it's important to understand, if you are a follower of Jesus, the willingness to yield to others, the willingness to own your part of a problem comes from your security in God's love for you. Because the more I understand the depth of God's love for me and the forgiveness that I've experienced as a result of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and the more confident I am of God's provision for me, that I don't have to get it right, I don't have to be perfect all the time, that I am perfectly loved by God in spite of my failures and faults, when I have that confidence and I know that God is going to care for me, it allows me to enter into conflict, to say, you know what, I, I am wrong. There are places in my marriage where I need to grow. There are parts of my parenting that need to change. There are parts of me as a boss, as a leader, as an employee that need to be different. So I need to own my part of the problem. James is saying, own your part of the problem in order to get on the other side of the solution. And I wonder for you, when you look at the global problems of the world, if there would be a willingness for you to own your part. For example, many of us, I would say all of us hopefully, would say that human trafficking is a horrible atrocity where millions and millions of people are trafficked in our world as slaves still today, more than any other time in human history. You would say, that's a problem that needs to change. But every time you click on a link and you watch internet pornography, you are contributing to one of the worst problems on planet Earth because there are millions of people who are trafficked for their bodies and your engagement in that. Or perhaps in Christmas when you go shopping and you're like, you know, I really do care about poverty and I really do want to make a difference in the lives of other people who have less than I do. But when it comes to what I want for Christmas, I need those new boots and I, I need that outfit or I want that thing. I want, I need, I want, I need. And if we're willing to stop and ask, okay, how is my purchasing behavior influencing my ability to bring hope to people in poverty that perhaps God would want me this holiday season to do less for me and less for even my kids. Sometimes gifts get stacked on top of one another and I've noticed that the gratitude does not grow with more. It's not like, oh, if I spend this amount of money twice as much, my kids are gonna be twice as grateful. Maybe your kids, but my point being that, that sometimes we're, we're just so opulent in what we do for ourselves when there are people all over the world that just a little bit could go a long way in their lives. So what is your contribution to the problems here on planet Earth? Owning it changes your perspective. Now, James is also pointing out that there's a source underneath the problem. And the third component is to discern the source over the symptom. Let's come back to that verse for just a moment. He says, what's causing the quarrels and fights among you? That's a symptom. He says, don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? That's a source. He says, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. It goes from the source, and now it starts to become a symptom. You are jealous, that's a source that's deep within us. 
but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war. That's a symptom to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask for it. That's a solution to the problem. So every problem, write this down, has a symptom, a source, and a solution. Every problem has a symptom, a source, and a solution. And so often what we do is we diagnose the source as the symptom. So we look at the world's problems and we fail to go to the source. Deep within the human heart is what the Bible calls sin. It's the brokenness inside of us that leads us away from God's very best. And when Jesus enters into the human heart, when I yield my heart to him, what God is trying to do is establish a kingdom here on planet Earth of sons and daughters of every nation, tribe, and tongue, rich and poor, young and old, this global movement of God where the kingdom of God is ruling and reigning inside the human heart. So God's solution to the world's problems is a kingdom, but it's not an earthly kingdom. So over the last few years, we've seen so many people, we've seen Christians get so mad at each other, followers of Jesus, because we misdiagnosed the problem. And we thought that we could solve the world's problems with maybe a little bit more of a governmental solution. Or we could solve the world's problems with maybe just helping people a little bit more financially when we did that and it didn't really help them and we still had the source. And it's not that we don't need laws and it's not that we don't need to help people in need, but if we misdiagnose what's underneath, that the gospel message, the message of Jesus pushes against the value system of the far left and it pushes against the value system of the far right and it clears the way for another king that is not a king of a nation, He's a king of an eternal kingdom and his name is Jesus. And he is trying to bring his kingdom forth into the human heart. So what happens is if a follower of Jesus embraces this, they come up with solutions that are not temporal. They come up with solutions that work for the long haul. So there are other solutions that backfire. And some of the solutions that backfire are external solutions for internal problems. So when we come up with an external solution for an internal problem. We don't deal with what's on the inside. What is the heart condition? What is the mindset that is driving human behavior? So the message of Jesus addresses the internal problem, the separation from God that exists in our world, the separation from God that exists in our lives, the lack of peace that comes from not knowing him. So it's an internal issue, but so often what we do is we drift to an external problem. Now, don't hear me saying that we don't need laws. Don't hear me saying that we shouldn't be kind and compassionate to those in need. But if that's our hope, we are so badly mistaken. And what we will do is we will circle with solutions that never deal with the core issue. The other thing that happens is when we deal with shallow solutions for deep problems, we get more problems. So we try to slap a Band-Aid on a problem when it's deep within the human heart. We need deep solutions for deep problems, not shallow solutions for deep problems. And then finally, temporal solutions for eternal problems. So if I only address the temporal, but I never go to the eternal, I don't have peace. So the kingdom of God is this eternal kingdom. And there will be a moment after this life when God's eternal kingdom will reign for all eternity. And Jesus will be on a throne with every nation, tribe, and tongue surrounding him 
worshiping him as the king of kings and lord of lords. And in that kingdom, there will be no more pain and there will be no more sorrow and there will be no more losses of babies and there will be no more people that die prematurely. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more divorce. In that kingdom that for eternity, there will be peace and there will be joy and there will be harmony. And God is trying to establish that kingdom. So when Jesus said, pray, that the kingdom of God would come on earth as it is in heaven. He is wanting that kingdom to come. And he would say things like, the kingdom of God is near. It's not, a, it's not far off in distance. And he would, he would get so much pressure from the Israelites that they would want, the Jewish leaders would want Jesus to overthrow the Roman government. That if we could just get the Romans out of the way, we could get the Israelite kingdom back. And Jesus would say, no, 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 no. I am about an eternal kingdom. And it says in the scriptures, when it talks about Jesus prophesying in the book of Isaiah, I'll, I'll do this verse on Christmas services, but when it talks about the kingdom, it says, of his government and his rule, there will be no end, and of its increase, it will continue. So as the world gets darker, and as the problems in our world continue to unfold, and there's so much chaos in our world, the kingdom of God is advancing, and the light is getting brighter. Those who follow Jesus, they come with eternal solutions, knowing that there is hope that God made a way that we can come back to his heart and that we can be bridged back to one another through reconciliation. So the final component of this is that people who are peacemakers, they do the hard work of reconciliation. They do the hard work of making peace in their relationships. James chapter three, verse 18, I'll come back to this, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds and reap a harvest of righteousness. And James is saying there's a harvest that comes. Now, since I've stepped into my role, one of the things that I've been criticized for by our elders is for bringing salad into our meetings. And they say things to me like, you just love salad. And I just wanna say, no, I don't love salad. I actually love meat and carbs, that's my favorite. Um, they, they actually told me their wives appreciate, their spouses appreciate the fact that I love salad and bring salad into the meetings. And it's, it's great. Thank you for the encouragement. But I've gotten a little bit of criticism and starting to sting for me deep within my soul. And I, I say, I don't, I don't love salad. I don't like kale. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of nasty, especially the kale from Chick-fil-A. It's gross. But what I do love, I love Chick-fil-A, but uh, what I do love is I love the results of salad. I, I, I love the, the fruit of eating healthy. And it's not the process, it's the product. And James is saying that there's a process and there's a product when it comes to peacemaking. And the product is a harvest of righteousness. So it's a home that's filled with peace. It's a church that's filled with peace. It's a world ultimately that is filled with the peace that only God can give. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a child of God, and you are invited into your father's business to do reconciliation here on planet Earth, and there's hard work when we step into that. It involves us laying down our rights. It involves us being willing to yield to others. It involves us loving peace the way that God loves peace. It involves us working for peace in our homes, in our businesses, and ultimately in our world. And I'll remind you of these verses as we wrap up from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 and 18. So 
we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. And this is all from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So what happens in that moment of salvation, and perhaps you're here and you're new to faith and all this stuff is like, it's new to you. You've never heard any of it. And it seems a little bit religious and confusing. The message of Jesus is so simple. It's that God came from heaven to earth. So when Jesus would be sung to and he would be proclaimed as Emmanuel, God with us, God in human flesh, God would bridge the gap to do life among us. And when he lived among us, he would never sin. He would never make a mistake. And at the end of his 33 perfect years here on planet earth, he would die on a cross for our sins so that every one of our moments of jealousy and every one of our selfish thoughts could be forgiven at a moment of turning to him. And we would stand before God holy and righteous, not based on our good deeds or our perfection, but based on what Jesus did on a cross for our sins. And what Paul is saying is there's a moment in the human heart that I yield my heart, that we surrender and put our faith in Jesus. And we are literally changed from the inside out. So what the spirit of the living God does is he takes the dead things that are inside of you and he brings them to life again. So he gives hope and peace. So he shines light where there's darkness and he mends what is broken. And he does this through bringing you to his heart. So the living God, the presence of God comes and takes residence in your heart and brings peace to your soul from the inside out. So Paul is saying anybody who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And today you can become a new creation by placing your faith in the Jesus who died on a cross for your sins and conquered the grave for you. You can become a new creation and experience his life that begins now and goes through all eternity. And the kingdom of God, not some physical kingdom, the eternal kingdom of God can begin in your heart in this moment. The rule and reign of Jesus, the peace of God can begin right now by you surrendering your heart to him in this moment. And I wanna invite you in just a moment to respond to that invitation, to say yes to allow him to come in. But others of us who are followers of Jesus, I wanna finish with this. He said, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself. So for some of us, this is past tense. And he says, now he's given us the ministry of reconciliation, that we are bridging the gap here on planet earth to bring people back to the heart of God. So our mission, the Father's business, is that now we are on a mission to bring people back to the heart of God, ministers of reconciliation vertical and horizontal. That is our call. That's our assignment. That's our invitation. And that's our opportunity as peacemakers. So now during the holiday season, we have two incredible opportunities to be peacemakers. And the first one is, as we enter into our Christmas services at all of our campuses, this is one of the greatest times of year to bring somebody to church with you. There's somebody in your life that your invitation could be the beginning of their life being changed for all eternity. And one simple act of bringing them to church can make all the difference. And in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to write down who is that person in your life. And then in addition to that, during the holiday season, we have an opportunity to partner with God in our generosity uh, through our Accelerate offering. And we've been talking about this, but one of the components of our Accelerate offering that we're highlighting today is our partnership with finishing the task. 
and finishing the task is this mission to get the good news of Jesus into every nation, tribe, and tongue to see people change with the good news of Jesus. And we're gonna watch a short video here that highlights finishing the task and our partnership with them and how we can be a part of being God's ministers of reconciliation to get the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Let's watch this together and I'll be back up to wrap us up. In the book of Matthew, Jesus commissioned his believers to take the good news to all peoples and to every place throughout the world. He didn't commission just a select few disciples or professional missionaries or ordained pastors. The commission was given to the whole church, to you and me. Hello, my name is Chad Intinger. I am the CEO and executive producer of an organization called Deaf Missions. I'm also privileged to chair the Deaf Ministry Coalition. Within the Deaf Ministry Coalition are a number of organizations that are like-minded and committed towards reaching the deaf community around the world with the good news, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Deaf Ministry Coalition was founded in 2019 as a result of meetings that took place at the Finishing the Task Conference hosted by Saddleback Church in Lake Forest. During that meeting, deaf leaders, along with myself, felt God's leading and His calling for us to unite together towards movement in seeing believers and churches in every deaf community around the world. And we've committed that every deaf person around the world have the opportunity to clearly access and understand the gospel in their own culture's sign language. After that historic gathering and finishing the task in 2020, the Bible was translated completely into sign language. Now think about that. This was not just another sign language Bible or another translation of the Bible. This completion of the Bible translation into sign language was the first full Bible in any sign language. That's historic. How exciting. Deaf people need to know that Jesus loves them and cares for them and that he died for their sins and that he rose again to offer eternal life through salvation. Deaf people need to see the hope that can be found only in Jesus Christ in the good news of the gospel. As a coalition, we recognize that the work ahead of us is great to reach deaf people in different languages all over the world. But with churches like Saddleback and the strength and the resources that only God gives, we believe and we know that the name of Jesus will go forth into every people group and every language around the world, including deaf people and every sign language around the world. Join us as we pursue the completion of the Great Commission. Come along. Can you imagine? The deaf had no complete Bible in sign language until now. It's been 2,000 years and still today, there are people who have never heard the name of Jesus. They don't have access to any believers. 
They don't have a Bible in their language, and no one is even trying to reach them. At Saddleback Church, we are committed to the Great Commission, and we humbly and boldly want to collaborate with those of like heart and purpose to ensure that there is a Bible in every needed language, believers in every community, and a local church for every thousand people in every place. You know, as I watch that video, there are two things that strike me. The, the first one is that this is who we are as a church. We're, we're the kind of church from the beginning in 1980 that has been the church that sa says, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get the good news of Jesus to the edges of our community and to the edges of our world. And now in this season, we're continuing to step forward in faith. And we have a bold confidence that what God started in us, he's going to continue. And the best of what God wants to do through you and the best of what God wants to do through us together is in front of us. And the other component of that is, it, it makes me so grateful. We have a ministry here to deaf people and actually in this service live, they're here in the front and we honor them for uh, the ministry that they do and just celebrate God's grace and the hard work of so many people on that team. And that's a part of who we are as a church, that so often in society there are groups of people that are overlooked. We, we as a church, we say, you know, we want to see the people that God sees and do whatever we can to love and to serve communities that might be overlooked or marginalized, and God has used you in such a huge way. And I love that story. So today as we respond, there are a couple ways I wanna encourage you to respond. You can pull out your connection card or you can scan the QR code on the screen as it comes up. And this is a way that we take next steps every week to say this is what I'm doing uh, in response to today's message. And today, perhaps God dropped in your mind somebody in your life that, that needs the, the good news of Jesus or perhaps they're hurting or lacking peace. I wanna invite you to write down that name of the person that God brought to mind for you that you would bring with you to Christmas services. And we will make sure with these cards and digitally that every person gets prayed for over these next several weeks, that God would give you a boldness and a courage to bring them to Christmas services. And as we respond with our connection cards, also this is our opportunity to give back to God. And I wanna say to those of you who've already joined us in our Accelerate offering, which is above and beyond our regular giving. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your generosity. And for those of you who give regularly, thank you. God's moving in power. And I love the fact that we get to partner together with our founding pastor with finishing the task. One of the things I love about Pastor Rick Warren is that in this season of life where it would be so easy for him and Kay to shrink back, they're stepping forward in faith saying, God, use our lives to accomplish this big global vision of seeing the good news of Jesus in every nation, tribe, and tongue by 2033. And that bold faith that he's lived out for 42 years that now we're living out as a church. We wanna continue to partner together and to invest financially. And next year we're gonna talk about how do we go on trips and partner together. And so today, as we give, we're partnering together with finishing the task through our Accelerate offering. And I can't wait to see what God does in 2023 through finishing the task and through us together. So in just a moment, as the buckets go by, you can drop your connection card. You can do all this online as well. You can give. Uh, and we just, we're so grateful for your generosity and for you letting us know what steps you're taking. Now, some of you today, before I get uh, wrap up, some of you today, uh, God stirred in your heart 
to begin a relationship with Jesus for the very first time. And I wanna invite you today to respond and to let us know that you're making that decision on your connection card to say, I made a decision to follow Jesus for the very first time with my life. And we'll follow up with you, we'll resource you and help you in your journey. Will you stand with me as I pray? And the ushers are gonna come forward in just a moment. We're gonna sing one last song of worship. Uh, I wanna encourage you, don't leave. This is a beautiful song that our team has put together for you. So let's pray. Father, thank you today that you are the God of peace. And this holiday season, we recognize the Prince of Peace, that where you are, there is peace not that the world could give, but peace that surpasses understanding. Thank you, King Jesus, for the shalom, for the peace that fills our hearts. And I pray today as we respond with our steps and we respond with our giving and those who've made decisions to follow you and those who are new to our church, God, that you would just continue your work this holiday season, that you would use us, you would use us to be your hands and feet, your peacemakers here on planet Earth. Thank you for your kindness to us and your love. In Jesus' name we pray.